it kind of forced us to figure out how do we not make the you know mistakes or how do we support our students and most importantly how do we keep the college open this is the day that changed everything a podcast series produced by maine biz maine's business news source every two weeks we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities, and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Hello, and welcome to the day that changed everything. My name is Will Hall, and I'm the digital editor here at Maine Biz. Today, we're talking with the president of Unity College, Dr. Melek Peter Khoury. Unity was founded in 1965 with a student body of about 39, but today has an enrollment of nearly 2,200. Dr. Khoury is something of an education entrepreneur He worked as an international business executive before entering the field of higher ed over 16 years ago. That was at the University of Maine at Fort Kent. And since then, he's held senior roles in everything from strategy and innovation to enrollment and academics. As president of Unity for the past six years and at the college for nine years, Dr. Curry has led Unity through some remarkable changes. Some of the most remarkable have been in the past year in the midst of the pandemic. Unity was in the process of implementing a new strategic plan when COVID hit and quickly the college had to pivot. By August, Unity had moved permanently to a hybrid learning approach. The school also began exploring the possible sale of its 225 acre campus. And on top of everything else, Unity had to deal with fallout from a criminal case involving a former employee who had embezzled over half a million dollars from the school. Dr. Curry, welcome to the day that changed everything. Thank you for joining us. Tell me, if you would, how things began pre-pandemic. Unity had been in the midst for some time, as I understand, changing everything, as we say, uh, and looking at a, a new strategic mission So that's a a lot of change already. Can you tell me about that? Absolutely. Unity College really started down this path even before I was hired. The Board of Trustees and and many of the uh, employees recognized kind of the demographic and enrollment cliff that was coming and uh, tried to really assess how can we get ahead of that as an institution who cares about the environment and wants to provide maximum access. So this journey really started before I was hired. But when I came on board, uh, we had just started to think about if we could, with the uh, reduction of the traditional age students coming down, how could we serve a differentiated audience? And that's what really started this journey for Unity College that I have been a part of. It sort of evolved from there. Um, You were looking at developing 
more infrastructure, new buildings, more programming on the campus, uh, as I understand. Yes, we, we realized very quickly that one of the major flaws of the traditional academic system for small liberal arts colleges was we really were a one size fit all. And so we really started to create the concept of the enterprise model that allowed for us to work in dualities where the folks who are very good at kind of the residential program were building that out. And at the same time, we started to uh, uh, research and look at how could we serve that adult audience through remote learning and distance ed. And kind of those two parallel uh, approaches were going on at the same time since about 2014. And that allowed us to invest in differentiated pedagogies, differentiated approaches, differentiated audience, technology, allowing both to run simultaneously. And that's kind of how this all started back then. So it was really a parallel track that required some significant investments, both in kind of the bricks and mortar, as well as the off-campus resources and technology and things that sort of make it all come together. Is, is that correct? Yes. Um, and, and we realized very quickly that our system wasn't designed for that. And so uh, hence born the concept of the enterprise model and the idea of having a number of centralized functions like business and branding and HR, but also having a number of decentralized uh, functions like recruiting and academics and student support to allow for maximum flexibility to create programs because a 17 to 22 year old student looking to go to a residential college has a very, very different need than a 35 year old person who might already have a job looking to get a degree or a master's program. So that, uh, that differentiation gave us the ability to invest differently uh, than just a one size fit all. And that really, I think, was the start of the change for us, allowing us to serve multiple audiences uh, differently. That's great. Um, and so you were, you were in the process of developing and implementing this change and sort of charting a new course for the school right up until the start of last year, I imagine. Up till the pandemic, we we knew that we had a long a, a longer span of time before the residential traditional residential model hit a critical mass of uh, you know kind of that cliff. So we had we called them sustainable educational business units. We had one called the flagship, which was what you would consider the traditional four year residential for coming of age students. We had distance education, which uh, was predominantly for place-based adult students, both independent units running in parallel. We had something called Sustainable Ventures, which was uh, basically a number of sustainable enterprises that work on a kind of think about it as a revenue generating manifestations of our curriculum, right? And then we were also building something called Hybrid, which was taking the, what we've learned from the residential model, taking what we've learned from the distance ed and online model and saying, how could we create something that it could be students could choose their experience and not being forced to go into one? And, and on the eve of the pandemic, say, you know, take us back a little over a year ago, February 2020, did you feel the college was making progress on this on this change? I mean, were things sort of where they should be? Were you hitting the marks? Yeah, I, I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, I think 
you know, each and every one of our Cebus was holding its own and doing well. And, and I think we felt we had a much longer trajectory to make some of these changes than the pandemic uh, allowed us. So yeah, we, we, we were growing steadily. I mean, to give you some context, uh, you know, we had doubled the enrollment of the institution uh, uh, at that point. And each and every one of our sustainable educational business unit was teaching and supporting its own students. And the enterprise was kind of supporting that while building new ventures. And it was going well. And then when the pandemic happened, it kind of forced us to uh, uh, figure out how do we not make the you know, mistakes or how do we support our students? And most importantly, how do we keep the college open sure. uh, when we were asked to go remote? On, on top of everything else that you were dealing with and uh, as the pandemic was, was ramping up, Unity was also dealing with the aftermath of a, of a criminal case, as I understand, involving a former employee. Can you just give me a little background on that and kind of set the stage? Actually, out of all of the challenges that Unity had in order to transform culture, industry, et cetera, that was actually uh, the least of our headache. We were, we were notified that there was a potential theft. I called in uh, the FBI and a forensic accountant. They independently did the research. We very quickly realized it was a singular human uh, person. I mean, it was very heartbreaking to see a long-term community member do something like that. We were able to, based on the advice of the uh, forensic accountants, put in internal controls. It was predominantly a credit card issue. And, you know, two and a half years later, uh, we have recovered over 95% of those resources. Well, that's that's good news. It sounds like a lot, though. The, the dollars were... I, as I understand, over half a million dollars involved. Yes, it was over a number of years. Like I said, once we were able to, you know, it's one of the things when you're growing very fast, we were able to correct that very quickly, though. And like I said, I was disheartened to see that folks you look up to could do something like that. But I was also heartened to know that it was a singular case, not a rampant issue. Sure, sure. And I think what was different with Unity College is this happens more than you think. We just chose not to do what most places do and try to cover it up. We were very transparent, called in the, uh, called in the FBI, informed the campus, let the crazy happen and, and did the right thing. And, you know, two years later, this is behind us. There must have been some aftermath, I would imagine, and people who were aware of this incident. Was that something that was on your mind during 2020? Absolutely. I mean, this, you know, uh, folks, the thing about small colleges, everybody knows everybody, right? And it's never easy. As the, as the uh, president, I, I mean, I, I knew this individual, that the individual had friends. Um, it's like I said, it's, it's never easy. The key is transparency. Don't get, don't lean into the drama and make sure that you protect all of the employees from being What's the best word to say for it? Get cast with that same brush because of the actions of one. And, you know, I think our, 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 our college is better for it because we were able to do some internal controls that helped us as we doubled in size. Sure. Well, thank you, Melika. It, it sounds as if Unity was dealing with a lot at the beginning of 2020, the early stages of the pandemic, uh, an enormous strategic shift for the college. And on top of this, uh, a criminal case that was 
being resolved, but still something that people were aware of. That to me sounds like almost kind of a perfect storm. Uh, it, it's a lot, of, lot to deal with at once. We're going to take a short break right now and come back and talk about how you and your team dealt with these challenges and how you came out of them. A business plan. You had one, and then you had to rework that plan and rework the rework. At Norway Savings, our commercial lending team knows that work. The nights, the weekends, the constant pivot. And since we've been there, it only makes sense to be here, helping you every step of the way, mastering the art of business. Norway Savings, live your life in color. You only have to do damage control when you misinform. We were very transparent. The FBI dealt with it, we didn't. I addressed it to the campus and the people who mattered, and we ignored the noise that was looking to bait us. We're back. I'm Will Hall of Maine Biz. And again, we're talking with Dr. Melik Peter Khoury of Unity College in Unity, Maine, about the day that changed everything. Melik, before the break, we were discussing how Unity was in the midst of sweeping change even before COVID-19. But then the pandemic hit, and on top of that, you had a former employee who was, had been prosecuted uh, for wire fraud and, and some other charges. Um, tell me, the beginning of 2020, as you were sort of facing all these things going on, what did you do from a strategic level? How did you begin to change course over the, the, the months ahead? Like I said, uh, you know, from 2016, we had been building an infrastructure to allow us to, um, you know, really support students where they are to a much more flexible, a much more accessible calendar, tuition, and the like. So we really focused on our mission and how do we deliver that to a differentiated audience than many small private college who like to see themselves as white saviors and only allowing a few students the, the privilege of this education. And so we then really looked into, okay, what the pandemic did is it pushed us to accelerate some of the strategic investments and the lean into the changing demographics because the current uh, demographics, they, you know, no, most colleges could not offer the perfect residential model that they used to. And we did not have the kind of um, resources to be able to put a moat around us like some of the richer colleges. Uh, so we decided to lean into our true mission is how do we get people from all over the world to have access to this education in a meaningful, affordable, flexible way. And as a result, we have seen as, as small private colleges go without the kind of endowment to buy students, our diversity rate go up from about 8% on average for the last 50 years to almost 20. We saw our average age of student going from 19 to about almost 30. We saw military vets who we could mostly not support because of the stringent nature of a residential program, basically go up exponentially as students that we can support. And we grew to about, you know, on any one time, 
having about 15 to 1600 students registered in this flexible calendar using technology, using remote learning, using online, using VR, and allowing students to continue their work. And I think that's what drove my team. And a lot of that came in because we had the different elements and we were just able to implement it a little bit differently and realize that in times of crises, like the pandemic and all of that, what we needed to do is be decisive. And those decisions weren't necessarily easy ones. I imagine there were some that were painful, um, and I believe there were some faculty and staff who were laid off. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, we lost about $17.5 million of revenue overnight as the residential model uh, uh, collapsed, and we had to make some really tough choices. It's heartbreaking. There were areas of the institution that were able to grow and compensate for that over time, but at the time, like many other colleges, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And there was even discussion of selling some of the campus, selling some of the college's assets. Actually, uh, that is a misnomer that just where, when the pandemic happened, uh, I chose a, a path of transparency. And I made the comment that because we don't know what's going to happen on the other side of the pandemic, nor do we know what higher education is going to look like in the next 10 years, that for us as a college to think about keeping our mission alive and, and making sure that we have more environmental stewards graduating than ever before, that everything needed to be on the table from when we teach to how we teach to how much we charge to how we support to the different facilities that we have all across the state of Maine. We've got a facility in Sky Lodge. We've got a facility in Southern Maine, in Thorndike, right here in Unity. Because the future of higher education is getting where students are. Everything was on the table, including this property, as we tried to assess what the future of Unity College is going to be with the primary focus on keeping our mission alive and supporting students. And at that time, Unity also made the decision to go to an, an all hybrid model, as I understand? Yeah, actually what we did is we, we saw the, the hindrance that the traditional semester model had on students who deserved our education. And so we said that instead of the two semester model, we were going to go into non-standard terms where we were gonna create eight terms where students can take five out of the eight to, to, to graduate in four years and then give them the maximum flexibility to take all of those courses face-to-face, -face, all of those courses online or any combination in between. We never got to really flex that muscle because the pandemic took away our face-to-face -face options, but I'm hoping that post-pandemic, we are really gonna test the system, which has, even though we have, haven't been able to do as much face-to-face -face as we would like, it was already seeing, but we abandoned the, the, the semester model because it favored the privileged. It favored the institutions who could give big endowed scholarships and created a model that allows students to really focus on the pace that they could afford, the pace, that their lives could allow them, and the flexibility to make choices that we sometimes say that it is either this or not. 
Well, it's a it's a remarkable story. Um, at, at the same time, and uh, we talked about this briefly, the legal case still was chugging along, as I understand, with the, I think, the final court appearance taking place not, last November. Did you have any fallout from this, even at that point, when things had been basically resolved? Was there still sort of damage control that you had to do around that? No, you only have to do damage control when you misinform. We were very transparent. The FBI dealt with it. We didn't. I addressed it to the campus and the people who mattered, and we ignored the noise that was looking to bait us. I mean, fundamentally, uh, the cover-up is more is worse than the crime, and we chose not to do that. I will say that it did take leadership discipline from my team not to follow every gaslight accusation designed to put my team on the defensive. But that, that's what uh, a college who ha- that has nothing to hide comes out on the other end. You know what's not true, and you ignore it. Well, it's uh, good advice. We're going to take another short break, and when we return, we'll talk a little bit more about how Unity College followed this advice and charted a new course, and what Melik and his team have learned from the process. Back in a minute. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, you've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. I would love for us to become successful enough as an institution where we become a model that gives permission for other colleges who are too afraid to change, permission to change. Welcome back. Again, I'm Will Hall of Maine Biz, and we're talking today with Dr. Melik Peter Khoury, president of Unity College. Melik, it's been a year now since the, the pandemic began, and you were describing a lot of changes uh, that were accelerated by COVID-19, a lot of strategic changes, changes that had implications in the day-to-day operations of the college, things that changed the way you registered students. And at the same time, there had been some negative attention to a criminal case in the, in the, in the past. There's a lot to, that's going on. The college has gotten through a lot of things and changed in what sounds like a very positive direction. Could you sort of walk me through how you've come through that on the other end, what you and the team have learned, uh, how you're feeling about where things are today? Sure. I do want to say again, though, that the bigger challenge for Unity College is an industry that's unwilling to change. And I know that you focused on a, a small, an issue that we actually thought was inconsequential uh, as, the, as the fulcrum of the change. But really what we were fighting was 200 years of elitism in an industry that talks about access, but creates policies around exclusivity. And so I am feeling very positive that with our ability to stop playing the discount game, the unfunded tuition discount game, by allowing students to decide if they want a residential program 
a hybrid program, an online program, a place-bound program, a competency-based program, a micro-credential. By infusing uh, a level of technology, virtual reality, augmented reality into the curriculum of the environmental sciences that will allow our students to be ready for the workforce of the 21st century, I find a challenge allowing my peers to accept us as a legitimate path forward for educating America and the world instead of putting a moat around our campus and only letting the privileged few in. So the challenge is, can we as an industry remain relevant long enough with industry, government, and the population? Will people see that we all can't be the elite tier one colleges who have the endowment to sustain them as a hedge fund? And really look into how can we prepare tomorrow's workforce who are environmentally conscious, sustainability-minded, critical thinkers, global citizens, and also career-ready. That's the real challenge because we are always going to need people to learn. And I would love for us to become successful enough as an institution where we become a model that gives permission for other colleges who are too afraid to change, permission to change. So we don't become one of those few record companies left while everybody else is on digital. For an organization or a business in a completely different industry, when you are surrounded by peers that are marching one way and you're trying to to marshal everyone in a different direction. How do you, how do you begin that process? How do you sort of get folks turned around? Sure. I think um, if you look at some of the major transformations across the country over time, they are the early adopters. I could use the music industry as an example. There was a time the only way to get good music is a live, uh, is a live concert. Then we had cassette tapes. Live concerts didn't go away. And we had CDs. Then we had uh, iTunes and many people refused to buy a song. You had to buy the whole album and now you can buy the album. But the, here's the thing that didn't change, music. So education is always gonna be here, right? How we package it, how we deliver it, how we make it affordable, accessible is what needs to change. And I think that those who are more interested in keeping up appearances, hopefully that uh, are more likely to struggle than those have the internal conviction with their team. I think what my team has had to learn, the hardest lesson we had to learn is not to follow every gaslight, every accusation, every uh, a blowhard that had enough credibility for you to waver. And so for us, we took the criticism as a challenge because if we were able to answer those questions, if we were able to transform, it made us better. We grow. If we get hung up by them, then we are no better than those who kind of sit back and Monday morning quarterback. So mm-hmm. it's, it's about training. It's about conviction. It's about data. It's about resiliency. And it's about surviving. Because it would have been very easy for any of these industries to go, oh my God, there is pushback. You have to understand the source of that pushback the motivation of that pushback. I mean, don't get me wrong, change for change's sake is a waste of time. Closing your organization in, in lieu of change because there is a demographic that is, that is no longer available or can no longer afford it 
you, you've got you've got to think differently. And so I think like any industry, there will be early adopters. There are many early adopters right now across the country who are finally getting attention because the work that they've done has provided students the ability to graduate when the most traditional approach has it. And I think there's room for all of us. I think what we need to do is figure out where the world needs to go and how do we deliver whatever it is our wares are, whether it's television, whether it's radio. I mean, remember radio, <laughs> right? Uh, TV now is going versus streaming. The stories don't change. It's just the mechanism. And I think that's, if you can take a look at that uh, and say, what is your core? What are you trying to do? And don't waver from that. And for us, it is providing students a quality education. Then everything else becomes a process that you can change and adapt. That's, I mean, that might not sound really profound, but it is, it's about, it's about resilience and, and really knowing what you are trying to achieve. Are we in the business of getting students to take big loans to come to our campus? Or are we in the business of educating? And what does that mean? And how do you deliver that if the student can't afford it? You know, anybody can make a decision if the consequences are irrelevant. But when you know that the next decision that you make is going to be the difference between providing access to a student who never would have dreamed of getting an education like yours, or just letting the decision happen because the, the, the popular stance is there's only one way to do this, that takes training. So I would encourage my peers out there who are privileged enough to be in a CEO seat, stop being a facilitator. Start being a leader and start to train your employees how to work. Look at your processes, look at your, your SOPs and figure, figure out if your employees are empowered and are trained and are supported to take risks, fail, and ultimately succeed. The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Maine Biz media products at mainebiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.